Hi, Journey. How are you all doing today? All right, let's be honest. Show of hands, how many of you would love that song to play every time you walked into a room? Right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Happy Father's Day to all of you dads, potential dads, upcoming fathers and all that. You dads are the best, and we around Journey Church hold you in the very, very highest regard, and so way to go. Can we just cheer on all the dads in the house today? Yeah. Way to go, dads. We love you. One morning, a four-year-old boy asked his dad, why are you making mommy breakfast? Is she sick? Nobody, replied his dad. Today's Mother's Day, he said. Oh, the little boy said. Then is every other day Father's Day? Like, well, yeah, sort of. We're in this dark side series. We're talking about anger, which can take us very, very quickly to the dark side, can't it? And America is really experiencing an epidemic of anger, right? No one is exactly sure why. Perhaps it's in part due to the uncertainty in the job market, the economy. Maybe it's the result of like chronic overwork. Perhaps it's the result of people, all of us being stressed like to the breaking point, lacking margin in nearly every area of life. It just seems that Americans are more and more angry these days. I was driving out to Belgrade the other day to pick up some kids from grandma's house, and I got on the interstate over at 19th. I was merging onto the on-ramp onto the interstate, and I, I'm going to, this isn't written down here in my notes, but I just want to say something here. It's my firm belief that the on-ramp is for achieving interstate speeds. Would you agree with me on that, right? The purpose of an on-ramp is for achieving inter interstate speeds. It's, li it's like a, a runway is to an airplane, right? The Airplane has this long expanse of asphalt so that it can achieve enough speed to gain lift, right? Well, it's a lot like that with an on-ramp on the interstate. I'm always stunned and surprised by the people who drive down an on-ramp. They, they start at the top of the on-ramp at like 10, and by the time they're on the interstate, they're at like 38. And you're like, no, that, like it's for the purpose of achieving interstate speeds, right? So that's my M.O. when it comes to an on-ramp. So I start at the top, and by the time I hit the interstate, I'm going like 80, right? Because that's interstate speed, right? So I hit the interstate going about 80, and down the on-ramp behind me comes this little red sports car, and I promise you, it had hit 100 by the time it was on the interstate. And it zips around me, and I was like, whoa, that guy's having fun, isn't he? Wow. And so we're headed west on the interstate, and you know as you get out to Belgrade these days, they have the interstate all under construction, and it goes down to one lane of the interstate traffic all the way down to 35. Don't ask why we had to go 80 so that then we could slow down. Well, anyway, I noticed this little red car is like a quarter mile. There's this long string of cars, and I see the little red car about a quarter mile up ahead of me, and I sort of laugh to myself like, ha-ha, can't go 100 in this, can you, buddy? When suddenly, I notice the car right in front of that little red car dive off into the shoulder, which is like all coned off. It dodged between the cones, and it hits the shoulder with that little red car like right behind him, right on his bumper. And I'm, I'm watching. We're going 35, so there's plenty of time to watch all this play out, right? And I watch as the guy in the little red car leaps out of his car. He's obviously angry. He reaches into the back seat of his car, and he grabs a baseball bat. He walks up to the other car, and he's like doing all this kind of stuff. He's got a baseball bat, and he's getting... Matt, and now this scene really has my attention, right? I'm a good little pastor, and so I start thinking through all sorts of little scenarios about how I might be able to stop and help de-escalate the situation, right? The nice little pastor 
talking the baseball bat wielding man out of doing something really stupid, like hit me with it. (laughs) I'm thinking about how I could help this innocent driver in this other car maybe get out of quite this predicament. Just then, the driver of the not red car guns the accelerator of his car, nearly running over the guy with the baseball bat, and gets back onto the interstate. Well, that really ticks off baseball bat wielding man. He runs back to his car, he throws the bat into his front seat, and speed like cuts in front of this long string of traffic out on the interstate, I assume, to chase down this other driver. And I watched all that play out, and I'm like, oh, thank you, Lord. There wasn't anything that I had to do in that situation, right? And so I just reflected for a few minutes on the level of anger in the driver of that little red car. And if you're here today, sir, we could talk when we're done. But obviously, the driver in front of him had made him angry. The other driver decided that it would be best to pull over. I'm not sure what his line of thinking was there. Pulls over. The little red car driver gets out a baseball bat, was seriously, seriously thinking about using a baseball bat, and you go like, wow, that right there is the dark side of anger, isn't it? That right there is the dark side of anger. It's like right at the boiling point, ready to blow, and just like the littlest thing sets it off. Can I ask you today, what has your anger turning you to the dark side? Is it something as silly as traffic? Or maybe for you it's the stock market, or maybe for you it's work pressure, or maybe for you it's family pressure, maybe for you it's financial pressure? Not long ago I watched a video that went viral This guy threw the most remarkably angry tantrum over a city street trumpet player in New York City. And you're like, really? guy's just playing the trumpet and it wasn't that bad? Really? But Americans really are more angry now than they've ever, we've ever been before. And now understand this, it isn't that anger is in and of itself a sin, Right? We all know the mandate from the Apostle Paul in the book of Ephesians. It isn't, do not be angry, is it? Rather, Paul says, in your anger, do not sin. In your anger, do not sin. In other words, when you're angry, be mindful, very, very mindful not to cross over to the dark side. Calibrate your anger in such a way that it doesn't lead you to sin, which is much, much easier said than done, isn't it? Because what do we know about anger? Well, if you were around last weekend, Bob did a fantastic job leading us a long way down the road when he talked about how the root of anger lays in our heart, doesn't it? And I want to tell you how exactly God sees our anger. If you have a Bible, you could turn to James chapter 4 if you'd like to. God sees our anger, the kind of anger that crosses the line to the dark side into sin. It rises from hearts, get this, that are controlled by anything other than Jesus Christ. That's the source of our anger, which means that it isn't about what he said, or it isn't about what she said, or it isn't about what she did, or it isn't about what he did that causes us to get angry and causes our sin to cross over to the dark side and sin. Rather, what causes us to get angry, what causes us to cross over to the dark side and sin in our anger is when our heart is controlled by something, anything other than Jesus Christ. It's just that simple. 
And when our heart's controlled by something other than Jesus Christ, when it wells up with dark side kind of anger, you know what I'm talking about, it's most of the time the result of us not getting what we want. When dark side kind of anger wells up inside of us, it's usually sourced in our heart not getting what it deeply wants. Get this, even good things that we deeply want. Dark side kind of anger is rooted in a heart that is controlled by something, anything other than Jesus Christ. Look with me at Proverbs chapter four, verse 23, if you would. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Powerful verse. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Which is to say that if any of us has any hope whatsoever of uprooting dark side kind of anger from our hearts, then sinful beliefs and sinful motives must be replaced with godly ones at the level of our heart. Because our heart, more than anything else, sets the entire course of our Existence. Back to James chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. It deals, James deals with the dark side kind of anger. Look right where he goes. What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Which is really just the fruit of dark side kind of anger, quarreling and fighting, right? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You're jealous of what others have, but you can't get it. So you fight and wage war to take it away from them, yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And you notice how James proposes attacking the dark side kind of anger. He says, guys, we got to go right to the root. We can't just talk about the fruit that's hanging out there on the tree of our lives. we got to go directly to the root because, you see, it's not just about behavior modification. It's not just about sin management. It isn't just about us trying to behave a little better, try to play our sin a little closer to the vessel. People don't notice it quite as much, so it's not so glaring. Rather, it's all about getting to the motives, to the roots, to our heart. And in order to cease this kind of dark side anger that wells up inside of us, our hearts must be dealt with by God. They must be dealt with by God. And this James text drills straight down through whatever excuse anybody may offer for their anger causing them to sin and gets to the bedrock that the anger grows up out of. Let's take it starting at verse one through verse three this time. Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You're jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want, thank you, because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because, check this out, your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. Anger, see, the kind of anger that causes people, anyone to sin, boils up out of desires that are so deeply entrenched and so deeply rooted within us that they actually wage war within us. 
James is painting this fantastic picture of our desires, our deepest, darkest desires, serving in a kind of army, and that army is encamped for battle. There's military troops that are dug in, fixed, positioned to fight, and those troops are not easily moved. And you know what it is? When you boil it all down and you strip everything else away, it's spiritual warfare over the territory of our hearts. That's exactly what dark side kind of anger is. It's exactly where it comes from. It's exactly what it's rooted in. Spiritual warfare over the territory of our hearts. The battle of our flesh versus the spirit of God who lives within us. And so here we are, we have this stuff that isn't Jesus Christ controlling our hearts. And when those desires go unmet, when they can't rule in the ways that they want to rule, the result is this dark side kind of anger that sort of wells up. It might look something like this. I'm going to pick on you dads because it's Father's Day. So dad, just let me paint a picture here that you've been at work all day long. You got up early long before the rest of the family was up and you went to work kind of a 6 a.m., kind of thing. You had a barn burner of a day. Lots of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You had customers and meetings and emails and phone calls. There's sort of this frantic scrambling all day long to get your work done, at least most of it, to the point where you could finally call it a day. The next thing you know, you look at your watch and it's seven o'clock at night. And at that point in the day, what do you know about yourself, dad? Uh, You're very tired. You're exhausted, actually. You're very hungry. And so you get into the car, you drive home, you stumble through the door of the house, and you're hoping above all hope that the whole world is going to like part in front of you, aren't you? Your mind is filled with thoughts of everything that you want. I need my dinner hot and served to to me by my hot wife, right? My children, they must be quiet and leave me alone, completely alone to unwind. Where is my newspaper? I must now have my favorite beer, right? And it's sort of like this picture of King Daddy has arrived. Everybody bow down, isn't it? Let me ask you this question. How, how do you think that evening is going to go? Right? Because here's what happens. The moment that your expectations fail to be met, it's very likely that you're going to cross over into that dark side kind of anger, isn't it? And, and you're like, why does that happen? Because in that scenario, we think we're God. Right? That's the picture of what's going on there. Everything in the world revolves around you. Your wife and your kids are moons made to orbit around you, the grand sun. Your wife's sole job is to provide you hot food, to see to your total tranquility. Your kids, they're to obey your every whim, quietly refraining from interrupting any and all tranquility. How's that night going to go? One word, misery. Right? It's going to be miserable. Now, let me say this. On the surface, are any of those desires that you felt on your way into the house that night, are they intrinsically sinful? No. Wanting food is not sinful. Is wanting your kids to obey you and grant you a little space to unwind from the day sin? No. Absolutely not. But desires, here's what happened. Desires can quickly, very quickly become sinful when they cross the line into this inordinate or into the selfish. 
In other words, you can want a good thing way too much. And the issue isn't so much about wanting something, but it's in wanting something far too much. And so you see our dark side kind of anger, anger that leads us to sin, comes from things that rule our hearts that are not Jesus Christ. They're not necessarily bad things, but perhaps good things that we simply want too badly. And if we're honest, we'd all say that that very kind of thing happens in our lives way more than we wish it did, right? Dads aren't the only ones who think they're God, right? Everyone at some point or another goes there. So what do we do about that? The answer to uprooting the dark side kind of anger is found only in the grace of God. You want to uproot the dark side kind of anger, you must Take it and lay it before the grace of God. Look at James chapter four, verse six. But he, that's God, gives us even more grace to stand against such evil desires. God gives grace, even more grace, to stand against such evil desires. Dark side anger. God's answer for our dark side anger isn't set in this found in this list of like how-tos, I need to, I need to, I need. But it's found instead, as one guy said it, in a whom-to. If you want to solve, if we want to solve the root problem of a heart that crosses into dark side kind of anger, we must go to God himself. James's solution to the root issue of dark side anger, it is surprisingly vertical. It doesn't take years and years and years of therapy. It is surprisingly vertical. It's about taking the root issue up with God, inviting him to dig out the things that must be dug out. We need God's grace. Very simply, we need God's grace. We need his forgiving grace, absolutely. His mercy that pardons all of our sins because our anger that crosses over to the dark side and causes us to sin, well, let's just say it, it's evil. And Jesus' pardon, get this, Jesus' pardon abounds. His pardon abounds. The fountain of Jesus Christ's forgiveness never, ever runs dry. No matter how big, no matter how dark your stuff may seem, his forgiveness never runs dry. His atoning blood never wears thin. His atoning blood never expires. Get this, Jesus' redemption towers over every single one of our sins. It doesn't matter. He towers above it. And so while we desperately need Jesus' forgiving grace, absolutely, we also require his enabling grace. Grace that fuels our ability to be and do everything that is in God's heart for us to be and do. The kind of grace that enables us to forgive people whose offenses would otherwise provoke us to anger that crosses to the dark side. The kind of grace that empowers us to overcome long-term patterns of judgment, venting, shutting down, all of that. The kind of grace that gives us strength to stand in and on the power of Christ, refusing to cross over to the dark side of our anger when bad, anger-inducing circumstances continue and continue and continue and continue in our lives. His forgiving grace, his enabling grace, and by our going directly to God so that he can deal with us at the level of our hearts, the next little chunk of James 4 spells out for us some of the things that God's going to deal with us on. 
as he goes to work on our heart and helps us lay down those sinful ruling desires. Look with me at verses 6 through 10. James chapter 4, verses 6 through 10. As the scriptures say, God opposes the proud but favors the humble. It all begins right there. God opposes the proud but favors the humble. So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter, gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up in honor. And did you notice those bookend commands in that text? Did you pick up on that? You see, our leaving behind the dark side kind of anger begins and ends with our humbling ourselves before God. It begins and ends with our humbling ourselves before God, which means us putting down my rights, my kingdom, my will, which are at the very root of the dark side kind of anger. Because what's at the root of our dark side kind of anger is the desire that we have to play God. Sin at its very root is about us usurping God's rights as if they're our own. And many, many times it plays out by us legislating required behavior of other people. Right? Behaviors that we may or may not choose to tell them. Our spouse, our children, our coworkers, our friends, on and on the list could go. And the result of any of those people breaking one of our immovable statutes means that you log their violation in your mental record book. Cha-ching. You, 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 you. And sometimes we'll gladly tell others how they've wronged us. Other times we won't because after all we get to choose how we reign in our imaginary world where we play God. And either way, whether you tell them or you don't tell them, we're both the star witness and the chief prosecutor against others and their violations. We play the role of judge and executioner as well, and we pound the gavel, we pronounce others guilty, we sentence them to whatever punishment lies within our power, but that is quite the opposite of the humility that James sketches out in James chapter four, isn't it? Humility means that you actually throw away your statute book. Humility means that you drop all of the charges, all the charges against every single person in your life. Did you catch that? You drop the charges. You throw the list away. Once and for all. And you leave those offenses. No matter how big or how small you've counted them to be, you leave them to the Lord. And you leave them to his justice. And you erase them entirely from your ledger. And you lay down your gavel of judgment. You descend from behind the judge's bench and you take off your black robe and you refuse to punish. And you instead begin to love people, yes, those people, the people who have so wronged you with the love of Jesus Christ himself. And where the humility that God challenges us to from the book of James meets our lives is most often I find in those two little words, I'm sorry. 
the humility that James challenges us to, that helps us overcome dark side kind of anger, I find is most often found in those two little words, I'm sorry. And I think when we're honest, if we were all to take an inventory of our lives, we would all have to say, yes, there is someone, there are people in our lives with whom our anger has crossed over to the dark side. Our anger has caused us to sin against them. And the very most humble thing you can ever do is to go to that person or those people and to tell them how very, very sorry you are for your anger with them. But before you do that, before you just set out on the grand apology tour, start by telling the Lord how sorry you are. Start by telling the Lord how sorry you are, because at the end of the day, it's ultimately him who you've sinned against. Isn't it? Yes, you've sinned horizontally against all these people or that person or those people, but at the end of the day, it's sin against him. And you start by apologizing to him, I'm so sorry, Lord, and you let that sorry grow up inside of you. You let that sorry take root in your heart so that when you go and you say it to the person or the people you need to say it to so that it's genuine. So it comes out of this place that you've done work on it with the Lord. It isn't just words, but it's at the level of your heart. It's true. Because you want to communicate to the people in your life that these aren't just words, that you mean this, that you're humble, that you're broken by the level of your sin against them. And you want to make it right. I am so very sorry. And maybe you've had this experience Or someone's used an apology to sort of subtly shift the blame. Have you ever had that experience? Right, where people say things like, I'm sorry. The reason I got so angry and yelled at you is is because of what you said to me. Right, well. Or, I'm sorry, you you just pushed my buttons. Or, I'm sorry, I've just got my dad's temper. Those aren't real I'm sorry's. Let's be honest. Those aren't real I'm sorry. Statements like those imply subtle blame shifting and imply that we're all just sort of passive victims subject to the control of everything and everyone else around us. But that is not at all humility. Instead, humility is speaking, I am so sorry for the time when I, and I pledge to you that I am going to do my level best not ever to let that happen again. That's humility. Humility is every single one of us owning the dark side of our anger, owning it as our own, and telling the Lord how incredibly sorry we are for our sin, and then speaking the sorry to the people we've sinned against. I am so sorry. I am so, so sorry. And as we do that, what we'll find is God's forgiving an enabling grace that allows us to meet God in the place of our anger, at the level of our heart, and, and be changed, and be different, and be new, and be right with him, absolutely, and with everyone else as well. I invite you to take your things and set them aside if you would, and I just invite you to move into a posture of prayer and listening to the Lord if you would.
And in this moment of prayer and reflection with the Lord, are there some here today who need to begin to say, I'm sorry to the Lord for anger that's crossed to the dark side? And if that's you, I just invite you to just humbly start right there. And this might be the first time you've even considered such an action. And so just let your sorry to the Lord grow up inside of you. The Lord will grow it up in all the ways that it needs to be grown up in you. And then maybe there's some of us here who you're going to move really quickly to the place of going and speaking that sorry to some people in your life. That's fantastic. Others, it's just going to grow in you for a while. But if you're someone who needs to go today and speak a genuine sorry to someone who's experienced the dark side of your anger, would you just, just do it? Just do it. Don't procrastinate it. in real humility go and speak the sorry the sorry that touches into the level of your soul just speak the sorry and dads I'm going to pick on you for another moment I know dads that we're not the only ones who need to say that we're sorry absolutely not but I do just want to plant a seed with dads you know there just isn't much that's more powerful than when you dad say you're sorry to the people in your family your wife your kids there's just not much that's more powerful than you humbling yourself and just saying sorry when you've blown it whether it's to your wife whether it's to your kids whether it's to your it doesn't matter and dads, I think we carry this incredible privilege of setting the tone of humility and apologizing in our house. We set the tone. God's rested that privilege on us. And dads, us humbling ourselves enough to say that we're sorry it has a powerful effect on everything and everyone in your household. Would you just hold that up? the Lord and just ask him, Lord, who do I need to speak a sorry to today? And then go do it. Make the call, send the email, send a text and invite for coffee. For some of us, God's work on our hearts around the dark side kind of anger begins by our stepping into Jesus and salvation, forgiveness from our sin once and for all. And maybe you know that's you today. And if that is you, you can take the bold step of trusting Christ with your whole heart, your whole life by praying along with me. If that's you, I invite you to pray with me. Jesus, I'm a sinner. Absolutely, I'm a sinner and I am incapable of saving myself. 
And I am so sorry, Jesus, for trying to save myself. I'm so sorry for thinking that I'm good enough. I'm so sorry for trying to prove myself to you, God. I need you, Jesus. I need your salvation and your forgiveness. And so here I am laying my life before you, God, trusting you as Lord and Savior. Thank you for taking my sin. Thank you for dying on the cross in my place. Thank you, Jesus, for rising. Here's my life. Here's my everything. And if that's you who are stepping into the saving faith of Jesus Christ today, that's the single biggest deal of your whole life. Nothing matters more. And it's such a big deal that around here we invite people to tell us when they cross the line of faith in Jesus. And so I'm going to ask you to do that with me right now. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed. Nobody's looking around this room. It's just you, me, and God. If you prayed with me just then, would you just be really brave and would you slip your hand up and let me acknowledge your decision with you today. You can do that right now. Slip your hand up and catch my, yeah, way in the back. Way to go. And here, yeah, what, yeah, you too. Yeah, way to go. And yes, ma'am, yes. Absolutely. Jesus, forgiving grace. Jesus, forgiving grace washing over you. And so Jesus, we say thank you so much for these who you've drawn to yourself today. For your forgiving grace that abounds even when we're at our very worst, Jesus. And what's true of all of us is that we don't want to live on the dark side of our anger. Yet we, we need you. And so Jesus, help us roll up our sleeves with you and go to work real, real vertically, inviting you to dig out what needs to be dug out from our hearts. And Jesus, would you let the sorry grow up inside of us? And would you let the sorry land in a powerful way with the people in our lives who we've wronged in our dark side anger? that they would hear it, that they would receive it. That because of your heart work, even in this group of people gathered right here, that there would be breakthrough after breakthrough after breakthrough relationally, even today. What a way to celebrate Father's Day. Spiritual breakthrough rooted in the humility to speak and I'm sorry and mean it. God, we love you and God, we trust you with our everything.